Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. The Todd Father. I'm thinking about changing my name. Whoa. I'm thinking about it. What if it was not Todd anymore? Oh, I thought you meant the Todd Father. Wait, hold on. So it would be a bigger deal if I changed my <laughs> nickname than my actual name? Would it be? Yes. It, very, why? Very much so. I'm thinking about it, though. What if I became, like, I don't know, John? Or what if I became, like, no, no, something different? that happen. Anyway, we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are talking with Felina Hewerts. And, uh, man, Felina. I was being contemplatively silent. Speaking of that, that's what we're going to talk with her about today is contempl- uh, contemplative spirituality. And, and Felina, um, she founded uh, an organization with uh, with her husband, Chris Hewitt, who, who was on the podcast last year. Go check that out. It'll be in the show notes. Called Gravity, um, which uh, supports the development of conscientiousness by making contemplative practice accessible to individuals, communities, in organizations who engage in challenging social justice perils that are happening right now. And she's worked with several organizations as well, such as World Vision, uh, International Compassion, International, and then a few others as well. And so she does stuff. She does. A lot of stuff. Yes. And um, she's going to talk She's gonna talk to us um, about contemplative spirituality which is really, um, which involves silence and solitude and the importance of that. And also... Is it spooky? It is not spooky, believe it or not. Okay. But she also authored um, a book, which comes out today, called Mindful Silence. Mindful Silence. And so we're, we're going to dive into that a little bit later in the episode. However, before we get to our conversation... Is it that Lena, time? It is that time. It is our Learner's Quarter recommended resource of the week. Woohoo. No sound effects? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba! I thought you'd never ask. Our resource of the week is a podcast today. And it is... Which one? I don't appreciate that judgmental tone. Which one? The people need to know. And by people, I mean myself in the mouse in my pocket. Shout out to Sarah Bragg. She might be the only person who understands that joke. Yeah. So uh, keeping keeping on theme today, the podcast I'm going to recommend is the Liturgist podcast. Ooh, yeah. And uh, they they very much deal with con- con- contemplative. Man, contemplative. That, is a, that is a difficult word for That's me to say. That's almost as bad as Lancaster. I was saying Lancaster right. You, you okay? Also, uh, so they talk about contemplative. They also they talk about a wide variety of uh, of. Oh, subjects. they do. They do, <laughs> and um, it, it's probably not a podcast that is for everybody. But if you're open to learning from someone who may not think exactly like you do or believe like you do, it is a f- fantastic thing. It, a fantastic resource. It forces me to stretch. They they cover the gamut of uh, spiritual topics from race to sexuality to um, to, to body shaming. Um, literally like everything. All the things. And so we recommend that resource. 
Go check it out. This has been your Learner's Corner approved resource of the week. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba! Also, by the way, before we get into the conversation, uh, Todd had to skip out a little bit uh, into this conversation. I probably had something really fun to do, like go to a rave or something like that. No, actually... You, your, where you were was making way too much noise, and so you just dropped out of the call. I was, it at, wasn't a, that I was at a rave. I was at a rave. That's why. That is not. I true. was at a rave. Don't feed them the lies. Anyway, here is our conversation with Felina. Well, Felina, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Um, as of today, your book, Mindful Silence, has come out. Um, and we want to talk with you about that. But before we get into that, um, it's really uh, kind of a part of this deeper discussion about uh, contemplative spirituality. And so just as we get start, started, um, can you kind of explain what that is? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so contemplative spirituality is an aspect of, um, of, of faith, really. And in the Christian faith tradition in particular, Uh, It was a large part of the early church and unfortunately got squeezed out uh, along the way through the centuries, um, really got pushed to the margins around the Age of Enlightenment, where um, emphasis was given to the the rational, discursive, kind of left-brain mind, and the more contemplative, intuitive, right-brain part of the mind was uh, kind of pushed aside as um, perhaps untrustworthy or not as um, competent or um, not as relevant to the faith. And so um, the the Christian faith in the West has really become um, one that is um, rather intellectual. Now, now some of, of our listeners might disagree with me, Um, There's certainly a heart aspect to a lot of Christians' faith. Um, There's also an emotional aspect. Um, I've kind of experienced the full gamut of um, Christianity and what's out there and, and, and kind of how to engage with the faith. But it's the contemplative dimension that is quite um, unique. And uh, it's, it's, it offers something very different from mainstream um, conventional uh, Christian faith as we know it today. And it's, it's an aspect of the faith that's really uh, being renewed for our time. So what is it? Uh, I think one of the easiest ways to express it is that contemplative spirituality uh, really emphasizes practices of solitude, silence, and stillness. And it's these um, practices of solitude, silence, and stillness that are, um, I think, really missing from a lot of our lives in postmodern American society. Um, the digital age that we're living in, you know, we're always plugged in, we're always um, connected um, really to all kinds of people and all kinds of situations and issues. And, and life is very full and busy for most of us. And so uh, this idea of um, making time for solitude, silence, and stillness is a little foreign to most of us. And it's something that I think we're desperate for. So I think this is one of the reasons why contemplative spirituality is becoming more and more attractive. Um, and I can say more about that, but maybe I'll pause for a moment and just see what, what direction you'd like to go from there. 
Yeah. What What has been your experience, or like what What first made you, or what When did When were you first introduced to this idea of uh, contemplative spirituality? Was there Was there a life experience or something? What happened to you to make you consider? I really need to start pursuing this. My goodness. Okay, so that's the most perfect question you could ask me because there was um, a pretty dramatic turning point for me. So I I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor of a small evangelical, really rather fundamentalist church. Uh, I grew up going to church, you know, at least three times a week, Um, was taught at a young age, you know, to have a relationship with God and and a a personal relationship with Jesus was very important to me. Um, I took my faith very seriously. And that led me into a life of service. Um, I, right out of college, I got involved in a budding um, organization focusing on service among the most vulnerable of the world's poor. So I got my start working with Mother Teresa and the Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta, India, and children with HIV and AIDS in South India in Chennai. And uh, as time went on, my husband and I ended up co-directing this this international organization that ended up serving people in poverty in 13 cities of the majority world. So working with survivors of trafficking, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, children with HIV and AIDS, uh, child soldiers and war brides, children living on the streets. And, um, and, and so we were responsible for overseeing this movement and organization of about 300 people uh, serving around the world. And it was about eight years into this work. I did this work for almost 20 years of my adult life right out of college. And um, about eight years in, I found myself in Freetown, Sierra Leone, at the peak of the war over blood diamonds. So um, have have you all seen that film or are you aware of it? Yes. Yeah. So probably um, quite a few of the listeners will have been familiar with that film as well. And it was really um, true to the story of what took place there. The film really depicts the reality of of the horrific um, civil war that was happening there. And we found ourselves in Freetown. Um, The UN peacekeeping troops were there. Um, The war was still going on outside of the city, but the city was completely war-torn. And and people um, who had been displaced throughout the country were flooding into that capital city, many of whom had suffered yeah, just unimaginable crimes. Um, amputation was a, a tactic for fear and control of the population. And so many of these people had lost um, an arm or a leg, or in some cases, you know, both arms, both legs. We even met a child as young as two years old whose, whose little arm had been cut by one of the soldiers. And so it was um, shocking to say the least. I mean, I had I had been familiar with poverty. I'd been familiar with uh, injustices of, of various kinds, but but the, to to witness human brutality um, to this degree was was something new for me. So uh, our our host invited us to go to a camp for young girls who um, who had been conscripted into the war as war brides, which means that they were subjected to domestic and sexual slavery, and um, they had, you know, lost everything, as you can imagine. They had nothing but the rags that they were wearing, and they were surviving under tents that the UN had provided. And many of them had um, 
babies, um, you know, from, from the sexual, um, assaults that they had experienced. And, and so we gathered with these girls and many of them, you know, obviously traumatized. Um, they wanted to tell their story and there was a sense in which, you know, someone from the West was here and they're like our only hope. Like if only, you know, someone from the outside can know what's happened to us, you know, maybe they'll help, maybe they'll find a way to help us survive. And, and so they wanted to tell their story. And I listened that, that day to story after story of, of what these girls had suffered. And uh, I won't go into all the details in this. Actually, um, in my book, um, I share this story at length. But uh, as the girls were describing their experience, I um, immediately you know, got this picture of these soldiers and just how horrible they must be. I mean, how does a human being do such a thing to young girls? And uh, and so I had quickly demonized these soldiers, and um, I was looking for someone to blame for all this pain and suffering. And certainly, you know, the soldiers were responsible, and and there's, um, you know, there's importance to uh, accountability and um, truth and reconciliation and justice of all kinds. So there's that. But there was this deeper thing going on in me in terms of um, looking for blame and um, and kind of. Uh, finding an enemy, if you will. And, and so anyway, I was trying to sort this all out in my mind and heart. And the next day, the host invited us to go to a camp for young soldiers who'd recently been disarmed. And I couldn't have imagined, you know, the day before meeting these boys and men. And, um, and so I was a little shell-shocked at the thought but I went and uh, I found myself in a huge tent with about a hundred um, young boys. Uh, and they looked, you know, rather similar to the young girls I'd met, just um, had nothing but the rags that they were wearing and um, incredibly vulnerable. And uh, they also wanted to tell their story. And I heard very similar stories of how they had been victimized. And Suddenly, it was no longer so easy to demonize them. You know, they were just boys, and uh, horrible things had been done to them. They'd been drugged and all kinds of things. And and so, I left Freetown um, really overwhelmed, um, trying to find someone to blame for what had happened. And uh, I didn't realize it in those terms at the time that it was a blame game, but it was, it's this age old, um, thing that we do, um, in terms of scapegoating, trying to find someone to suffer. I was really dealing with was that which is unresolvable in, uh, human suffering. And so, um, this really changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. So like, so like, what did that, what did that century in prayer look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, as I was going through this, um, crisis of faith, really, um, what I was experiencing was that the, the practices that had sustained me in my faith were falling short. So, you know, going to church services, like was not connecting with my experience. Um, 
various kinds of like verbal prayers is like I couldn't pray anymore mm-hmm. with words. Like I had nothing left to say. And reading the scriptures just was not a consolation anymore for me. It wasn't answering my deeper questions um, at that time. So when um, when Father Thomas introduced me to centering prayer, it was this practice of sitting in silence. And I can perhaps before the podcast is over, I can share like the the method. It's it's quite simple. Mm-hmm. But but in this practice of sitting in silence for a minimum of twenty minutes, two times a day, I found a way to stay connected to God. Um, you know without having to work so hard at it um, with words and ideas and um, trying to problem solve various things or, you know, get the theology perfect or right or whatever. It was like, I could just, I found a way to be. And what this really ended up being is um, a way to rest in God uh, in the midst of what is unresolvable. So, I mean, that's kind of the deeper aspect of the practice. But initially, um, you know, it is a way to um, detach from the noise in our life and the complications in our life, the stress, uh, various um, things. You know, for a lot of us, it doesn't have to be the big, huge questions that we're asking that drives us into a practice like this. But it may be just simply the need to slow down and um, to to get more acquainted with ourselves and with God. And through a method of centering prayer, um, we find a way to do that. In fact, for the first 1,200 years of the faith, contemplative prayer was understood as that, as resting in God. Mm-hmm. Why do you think there, because I feel like there is such a strong resistance whenever it comes to, you know, you mentioned just a couple of solitude, stillness, and silence. Why do you think there is such a strong resistance to us mm. doing that? Oh, man. You know, um, first of all, I think there's a lot of fear. Uh, somewhere along the way, we got the idea that if we get quiet um, and alone, we somehow open ourselves up to the devil. You know, I mean, this is kind of an age old belief, but in fact, um, the wisdom mothers and fathers and um, the desert mothers and fathers, those who um, the, the Christian faith uh, has, has turned to for um, some of the deepest truths and wisdom and guidance of the faith historically, um, you know, they, they were the ones that went so deep in contemplative prayer to begin with. And they understood that, you know, in our deepest self, in the quiet, most still places of our being, um, God dwells there. And this is scriptural, you know, that the spirit of God dwells within us and um, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so um, this is like the one place that the, the devil can't get to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's actually in the activity of the mind where, um, where we are more, um, vulnerable to various thoughts and motivations that are not aligned with the will of God. So I think, first of all, there's a lot of fear. Um, and then second of all, I think it's really, um, it, it points to how much we want to be in control. And if you think about, um, kind of conventional Christian faith and practice, um, 
when you think about uh, how how we typically pray or um, our devotional life and, and that kind of thing, we're very much in control of it. And uh, when we enter into solitude, silence, and stillness, we are essentially letting go of control. It's a practice of deep trust and deep faith. And it's a practice that recognizes the mystery of God, which is a part of the faith that we've really been cut off with. So yes, there are things we know about God through Holy Scripture and and through tradition, um, but there's a lot that we don't know about God, and God is ultimately um, beyond our capacity to comprehend fully. Mm-hmm. And it's this mysterious aspect of God and and really ultimate reality that contemplative prayer and contemplative spirituality um, begins to address. Can, can you give an example or two of what this contemplative prayer might look like? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a number of different contemplative prayer practices in the Christian faith that, that I teach. Um, and probably the best one to start with uh, to share here is what's called Lexio Divina. Some of your listeners may be familiar with it. It's one of the more common contemplative practices that's been emerging. And it's a very ancient practice dating back to the third and fourth century desert mothers and fathers. And Lexio Divina is just Latin for sacred reading. And so it uh, it's about letting the scriptures essentially, um, rather than we read the scriptures, the scriptures read us. And there's um, this traditional they call it a ladder or um, these steps that you do in the practice where you would sit down and you would open um, the scriptures to perhaps a gospel reading or a psalm, something kind of, um, you know, you don't want to take on a huge text um, with a lot of verses, but something more small and um, chewable, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, there's these steps of you read it. So the first step is Lexio, which is just reading it. And then you just kind of sit with it. You kind of take it all in with your senses. And then the next step is um, meditatio. And that's when you you want to meditate on the scripture with your mind. And so you go a little deeper from kind of the surface senses into really thinking about the text. And then you move into oratio, which is prayer, which is just a deeper um, connection with, with the text and with God, where there might be some exchange of dialogue in prayer. And you end with contemplatio, contemplation, which is beyond words, beyond senses, um, beyond images, and and you rest in your experience with the living word of God. And it's this this last step of contemplatio um, where centering prayer really kicks in as another um, spiritual practice or contemplative practice where um, we just kind of pick up there where Lexia left off. So without the scripture, we just sit down and we get quiet. And then we have a method where we have a sacred word or a sacred image, or we might just use the breath. And um, we begin our, our prayer time by initiating that symbol as our symbol to consent, to say yes to God, or to say yes to love. if any of your listeners are uncom- uncomfortable with God language. We have a lot of people today who 
you know, are leaving the church because um, their experience of God in the church has has been so negative and harmful and hurtful. Um, but we know that God is love. And so for, mm-hmm. for listeners who, you know, really are, are struggling, maybe deconstructing their um, image of God, we can say, you know, we consent to love. And then it's just a matter of um, practicing letting go of control and saying yes to love or saying yes to God. And this is we have to always remember it's a practice. So it's, it's quite difficult for most people at first because they realize when they get quiet, their mind is so active and they find it difficult to um, not engage the thoughts. And so the practice is just, you know, every time we notice a thought or a distraction, a sensation, we just gently return to the word or, or our sacred symbol. Um, and so by doing so, we practice over and over and over and over again through the, the time of prayer, um, this, this posture um, or disposition of letting go and saying yes to God. So the fruit of the prayer is not looked for in the prayer time. The fruit of the prayer is found in the active life. Mm. So as we mentioned earlier, um, Today, actually, it, your book, Mindful Silence, releases. And so can you, can you talk a little bit about how your book um, plays a part in the overall um, concept of contemplative uh, spirituality and kind of what the book is about? Sure, sure. I'd be glad to. So the subtitle of Mindful Silence is The Heart of Christian Contemplation, and it's really designed um, to be for Christians who are kind of curious about the contemplative tradition or perhaps have found themselves um, in kind of stepping into the contemplative path and want to understand how contemplative spirituality connects to the faith. And so uh, in, I, I begin the book with um, the concept of sleepwalking. I end it with waking up. And, uh, and, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus, uh, there's, a, there's a story of, of Jesus talking about keeping watch, staying awake and alert. Um, these concepts are, are really critical for people who are serious about the spiritual journey. And so um, we move from, from recognizing that many of us are moving through life kind of sleepwalking, like not fully conscious and aware of what's going on within us and mm-hmm. in, in, in the way that we're interacting with others. There are a lot of unconscious motivations at play in our, in our being that, um, that we're not really aware of. And this, is, this gets into the, um, the dual nature of, of the human condition, the, the human and the divine parts of us. Um, Paul writes about how those are at war with one another. And so um, it's this, it's this human condition that we need to wake up to and recognize. So once we do that, then I, I move into the, um, the various, various themes of the contemplative path, um, themes around um, discernment and freedom and um, what, to, what, what about darkness, like in the spiritual journey. And um, we have a great teacher in our tradition, John of the Cross, who, um, who helps us understand dark nights of soul. and so. Then I, I, I discuss um, the depth of like a deep well of um, the contemplative path and, and, and the aspect of dying. What is, you know, 
the invitation of Jesus is about taking up our cross and dying. And what does that really have to do with um, our practical life? How does that look? And, and so I unpack these various themes and I introduce in each um, chapter a, a teacher in our tradition, um, someone who has been you know, recognized by the church as faithful and truthful and uh, a luminary for us. And then I offer, um, you know, various teachings around scripture. Um, and then uh, as one of the contemplative prayer practices in our tradition, those are also in each of the chapters. And so it's a, it's a book that I think will be helpful for a lot of people who want to learn more about contemplative spirituality and, and what difference it makes in one's life and how it connects to the Christian faith. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about the part about the dark night of the soul and darkness and how that plays uh, a part in it? Because I remember reading through the book and, it, and it's, not a natural, um, it's not a natural thing that you would say, well, the, the darkness, the, the dark night of the soul is going to play uh, this part in it. Can you talk about that a little bit more and how it does? Yeah, sure. So in that particular chapter, I, um, the chapter is titled Darkness is Light. And, um, and I really chose that juxtaposition because um, when we're in a season of darkness, generally um, the consolations that we've experienced before in our faith um, like warm, fuzzy feelings and and a, and, a, and a strong sense of God's presence, those dry up and we no longer are experiencing consolations. We don't have the comfort that we knew before and we're really struggling to uh, have a felt sense of God's presence. And, uh, and so this is um, you know, really troubling for a lot of people. And unfortunately, many people um, who grew up in the church um, are taught that this is a bad thing, that um, you, mu- you must have more faith, you know, there must be something wrong with you, you might have, must have done something um, for God to distance God's self from you, or something like that. But um, the truth of it is that, uh, that during times of darkness, this is when God is actually um, most present, and that's why darkness is, is light. So John of the Cross, um, he he illustrates this so well um, in terms of like a log of wood that is on fire. Um, it turns um, black and dark and arid. It's very dry and brittle and, uh, and it's painful. Um, but there's actually like a, cons- a consuming amount of light that's going on. But the wood is is only knowing the effects of the light, which are the dark, the darkness, and the dryness, and the brittleness, and um, and and this is what is happening when we are going through a spiritual darkness. God is coming very, very near, and uh, and then there's this process of um, in the Christian tradition that we refer to as purgation which is a purging and purifying aspect. And so there's many scriptures that reference this as well. We just unfortunately have not emphasized this much in our um, Christian formation in, um, you know, conventional Christianity. So it's, you know, I'm thinking about scriptures that talk about being refined by fire and Mm -hmm. um, various metaphors like that, you know, and this is what's happening. But 
we are experiencing it as darkness because our senses are only experiencing the pain and the the sense of God's absence. We don't feel God. We're not knowing God like we used to in, in this experience. But this is a necessary purification process that's preparing us uh, you know, for the long haul, really. And it's a, a season of growing us up, um, getting us kind of weaned off of the milk and ready for the meat, as mm-hmm. the Apostle Paul would talk about. Yeah. For, for the person who's listening to this and they're thinking, this just this sounds intimidating. I'm not sure where to start. What advice would you give uh, to that mm-hmm. person who, want, who just wants to start uh, implementing some of these practices? Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I know it's such a heavy thing. <laughs> it's such a, <laughs> and I, I, don't, I wish I had a more lighthearted way to go about it. Um, but this is like, oh, this is just, yeah, this is just the way, um, this is just the way it is yeah. for me. And um, I, well, I was yeah. going to say, just because it's heavy, though, doesn't mean that it's a, that it's a bad thing either. Right, because I think this right. goes back to, you know, as, as we were saying earlier, um, that they're like, if it, if it's, if it's heavy or if it seems to bring down the mood, there's just something inside of us that wants to resist it. But, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily good for us to resist it. And in this case, it would be harmful for us to resist it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is, this is really for people who have come to the limits of their own self mm-hmm. and recognize that they need more and um, and to really tap into their desire for a, a deeper relationship with God. And and so I think when we've lived long enough and we've we've experienced enough of reality and in, in terms of pain and suffering and um, and wrestling with the big questions of ultimate reality, then contemplative spirituality becomes more attractive. Um, so for those who are just like, this sounds interesting. I, I think it's something I need, but it is kind of intimidating. Yeah. Where to begin? I mean, I'd really encourage people to begin with Lexio Divina. Mm-hmm. And uh, on our website at gravitycenter.com, we have a pull down menu for practices. And we have all kinds of spiritual practices listed there, including Lexio. And so people could start there and um, to get the instructions on the practice. And then we have resources, like various books and things um, listed for each of the practices as well. So that's probably a good place to start. Cool. And we'll link to all that stuff into our podcast show notes to make it easier for people to find as well. So um, before we get into um, some questions that we that we love to ask all of our guests, um, is there anything else as it pertains um, contemplative spirituality or your book uh, that you would like our audience to know? Mm. Well, in terms of like the content or, or yeah, where in to terms get of, it? In terms of the content, is there anything that, mm-hmm. you know, I think it would be really helpful um, if people might know this. Hmm. Hmm, that's a good question. I think I just want people to know that there is so much more that God has prepared for their life than they could even ask or imagine. And uh, if they just find a little courage to let go and trust God, um, they will discover who they truly are. And they will open themselves up to the most fulfilling life they could ever live. 
contemplative spirituality helps helps one do that. Mm-hmm. So Felina, just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that is helping you either um, personally or professionally right now? Well, the the first thing that pops in my mind is my puppy Basil. <laughs> so he is helping me in so many ways. He is just my joy. We adopted him two years ago. He's a rescue dog, but my husband and I feel like he rescued us. He um, is, he just, oh, he, he's a, he helps us take breaks during the day. He comes to work with us every day. He um, gets us into the outdoors, into nature. He helps us be present to life and, uh, and to slow down. And he's just a total gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who is eager to learn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say awesome. Keep that fire going and, um, and make make time to integrate what you're learning because it's one thing to know in your mind it's another thing to know with your entire being and you know what it's like to be in the room with someone who knows from life experience that kind of knowledge uh, is that is the kind of knowledge that really changes the world it's the kind of knowledge that that leads to transformation If you could have everyone uh, learn one thing, and this could be um, a serious thing or a non-serious thing or both, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> well, as you can tell, I, I tend to be pretty serious, so um, <laughs> I'm struggling to come up with something more lighthearted. That's okay. That's <laughs> but, okay. Um, I, I, I tend to yeah. lean that way, too. Todd is the yeah. much more lighthearted one of us. And so I yeah. needed to put that lighthearted thing in there. Otherwise, uh, he would get on me for not asking it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love it. I, yeah, I, 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 I uh, admire the people who, who tend to be more lighthearted. Yeah, I mean, I would just want everyone to learn the practice of centering prayer because mm-hmm. uh, I really think it has, it holds um, the power for real transformation in Christ. Uh, the scriptures talk about being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And there's no other practice in my life that has, um, helped me realize that kind of transformation more than, um, centering prayer. It's not because centering prayer is like a magic pill, but it's that the practice, um, creates the conditions in which we can, um, really be transformed so mm-hmm. yeah that's where i that's what i'd say and and that just made me think of too um and maybe you could talk a little bit about this the the connection between centering prayer and uh in the renewing of our of our mind have you seen that there's a relationship between the two? Oh, exactly perfect i mean this is one of the um teachings that I often bring out in my retreats and stuff. Yeah. Renewing the mind. It's, that's what it's all about because our mind is an incredible thing. Um, but it can often deceive us and, um, it's often wrapped up in a false identity, the identity of us that doesn't know who we are, that really doesn't know that we're children of God. And when I mean, when I say, no, this is getting back to your previous question that it's one thing to know it in your head. It's another to know it in your entire being and your life 
is reflected in that way, you know? So um, centering prayer is, is totally about renewing the mind, mm-hmm. putting on the mind of Christ, knowing who we are. Yeah. And then, because one, because if, if I could just say, I mean, yeah. because, one, because once we know who we are, um, then we will know how to be in the world. And I think perhaps in our Christian formation, there's a lot of emphasis on behavior and moralism, doing the right thing. But see, if we're not living from the identity of our true nature, which is a child of God, like we have divine DNA, like that is true, mm-hmm. but we don't, we often miss that point. Like until we realize that, um, man, it's super hard sometimes to be good, mm-hmm. you know? But Jesus said we do even greater things than him. So until we have that renewed mind and we're really identified with our true nature of, of being a child of God, um, being really transformed in the likeness of Jesus, then it's just going to be difficult for us to, um, to get on with really the will of God to do even greater things than Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just the final question is, what are you learning right now? Mm. What am I learning right now? I, I mean, I'm just going to speak from you know, my gut with mm-hmm. all of these questions, just kind of what the first thing that comes to mind. And for me, it's um, to continue to overcome things that hold me back because, you know, this is my second book, um, but it, there's like, like this book is requiring a lot of me in terms of putting me out there more and more in the public. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a learning curve for me. It's a growth edge for me. Like my, I would, I would prefer to kind of hide away in my little hermit cave and pray <laughs> and write and uh-huh. play with my dog. You know? <laughs> um, but, you know, time and again, I have been challenged and called to put myself out there. And, um, and this is a season of, of even, you know, having to do that, in, in a greater degree. And so I'm learning to, um, overcome that, which holds me back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's, it's such, I think that's just a, such a powerful lesson, um, for literally for all, for all of us, because we all have stuff that's holding us back and we get to choose whether or not we want to deal with it or not. So, right. Yep. Well, Felina, thank you so much for being on the Learner's Corner today. If people want to continue to learn from you and find your book, uh, where's the best place for them to do that? Well, let's see. How about, um, there's a few places. So Felina.com is my website. And then uh, GravityCenter.com is um, the organization that I run. And uh and there's going to be a lot on the gravitycenter.com um, webpage about my book, um, as well as the Felina.com. But I'm also on, on Twitter a little bit at, at Felina. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the Learner's Corner today. Thank you. It's been a real joy, actually, to visit with you. Guys, that was a great conversation. But my real question right now is this. Caleb J. Mason, what's been your big takeaway from this conversation with Felina where that was she went a lot of places with that, and that was some deep stuff. What was your takeaway? Yeah, I think just really contemplating 
and thinking through how can I incorporate more silence into my day. Um, I I am very much uh, a, a go type person, very much an efficiency type person. So I almost always am listening to some sort of podcast while I'm you know uh, doing doing housework or literally or driving, whatever it is. But how can I incorporate um, the silence that she was talking about? into my day and so that's something that i'm wrestling through right now yeah and, and whenever she talks about silence don't it, it's not an introvert extrovert thing it's not a i'm a loud person caleb's not a loud person thing it's how much busyness and how much stuff how much input is going on all around you on a, on a regular basis so definitely so Boom. If you enjoyed this episode, um, we're, we're actually going to be dropping a, a bonus episode for you Who this said? week. We are uh, talking with Knox McCoy. Okay, we'll do that. And Knox is the host of, uh, of the pop, or he's the co-host of the podcast. He's pop pop culture expert. And so we're going to be talking with him about that and the book that he recently uh, came out with called The Wondering Years. So, the so, best way. Also, check that out. Next, subscribe. Next week, Do we're going to be having a conversation with Robin D'Angelo. Oh, and we're going to be talking about with her about the subject of why is it so hard for white people to have conversations about race. And so, the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of those episodes is how Todd. You can subscribe. Also, don't forget to leave us a rating. Just go do that. And write a review of the do podcast. That too. Why is it important for people to do that, Todd? Because I'm giving out $100 bills out of Caleb's bank account to everybody who does that. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> that is not an accurate statement. JK. No, it's very important because everybody knows this, right? The iTunes podcast archive. Is archive the right word? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, Library, maybe. Um, It's the biggest one in the world, and they have all the the, the major rankings. And so when you give us those beautiful five-star reviews, well, it pushes us further up the list. We get more more noticed, and people like you subscribe and listen more. And if you leave a review of the podcast, we will read it on the podcast. So do that. I'll even do voices. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Oh, it's a good thing. Thank you so much for listening to the Learner's Corner today. Until next time. Actually, not until next time, because my name will always be Caleb Mason. My name may be something different next time. My name is Todd Hicksabaugh currently, though. Keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.